This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 22nd of April 2023. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House here in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up, we'll have a look through the front pages with Alice Sherwood. Then Monocle's contributing editor, Andrew Muller, recaps what we learned this week. We have probably learned on balance to be more grateful for those rituals and traditions which anchor us to a past which, while no less ridiculous than our present, is at least no more terrifying than our future. We're at Salone del Mobile in Italy and we hear how seaweed could completely change our world for the better. That's all coming up here in the next 30 minutes. But first, the news. Artillery fire continues in Sudan's capital, Khartoum, with sporadic shelling, even though warring factions announced a truce, while one force said it was willing to allow airports to reopen for the evacuation of foreign nationals. The United Nations, the US, the UK, Japan, Switzerland, South Korea, Sweden and Spain have all said they're making preparations or attempting to remove their personnel after almost a week of violence. The US Supreme Court has blocked new restrictions set by lower courts on a widely used abortion pill, a decision welcomed by President Joe Biden as his administration defends broad access to the drug in the latest fierce legal battle over reproductive rights in the United States. And New Zealand's last exports of livestock by sea have completed and live exports have ceased, its agriculture minister said, as it fully implements a ban on export shipments of animals on the grounds of their welfare. Now let's have a look at the day's papers. And with me in the studio is my good friend Alice Sherwood. She's a visiting senior research fellow at King's College London Policy Unit. Gosh, that's quite a mouthful. Mouthful. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. Uh, Listen, I have one phrase to say, and I'm so surprised that no paper has run with this. Hip, hip, hurrah! (laughs) (laughs) Dominic Raab, that is. Uh, This is our uh, Deputy Prime Minister here in the UK, uh, who's resigned. Um, And everyone in Britain seems to think it's deeply important. And the rest of the world has completely ignored it, Mm. understandably, I suppose. It it is a huge story here, or possibly in that kind of media village. Uh, And as you say, not on Le Monde, not on the New York Times. Uh, What's sad is... It shows how polarised we are, depending on the the political leaning of the paper. He's either been uh, been resigned, has either resigned because of bullying or because he's the victim of a civil service that is left-leaning and anti-Brexit. And it really depends on what you read. Just tell us how this came about. It's an, on, it had been, he'd been investigated for months. He's been investigated for months for, I think... 20 different complaints against him uh, for bullying, or 20 different people, eight different complaints, of which two complaints of serious bullying have been upheld. Um, I think both from his time at the Ministry of Justice. And he said if he was found, as it were, guilty of infraction, he would he would resign, but he's fighting. I mean, he's resigned, but not in any sense gracefully. Mm, mm. Uh, and I think it's very interesting because... 
I personally, from I, d- I don't think for a moment that the civil service uh, was trying to undermine him. Uh, but I also think it points to a change in how people are allowed to behave. We've seen it with Me Too and we're seeing it a lot with bullying. Mm. And we're also seeing it within the British government because they got away with so much for so long under Boris Johnson and actually Rishi Sunak now has no option really but to act. Yes, I, I, I think there's a feeling that the era of careless bad behaviour is over. Mm. Well, that's a big loss of status for Dominic Raab and a loss of status for many people on Twitter. We all lost our blue ticks. Do I even exist if I don't have a blue tick? (laughs) I don't think you do, but you can buy one, I think, is Elon Musk's point. Please buy one, he says. Honestly, and that completely negates the value of having a blue tick in the first place. Anyway, that's not the story. The story is much more interesting than that. Well, I think the, the, the story, and it has just emerged really from the tech world into mainstream media today, which is Jack Dorsey. So the Twitter founder has launched his own social media platform, which is called Blue Sky. And Blue Sky, curiously, has the same shade of blue as Twitter. And even more curiously, uh, Twitter actually funded this because it was a development strand when Jack Dorsey was in charge. And now it looks set, perhaps, to become a rival. And you can, they say by invitation only, you can, you can, click, you can click to apply and join. It's not got as much functionality as Twitter, but on the other hand, it doesn't have all the nutters and the conspiracy theorists. Uh, so it it's it, watch this space and just looking at that the I mean it's the same font it's the same layout it's just ex- I mean yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to have to find a new way to fund it because it, it was thirteen million I think it was thirteen million dollars from Twitter that 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 kickstarted it I expect Elon Musk isn't going to say lovely lovely please carry on developing your uh, competitor your competitor on our cash. <laughs> uh, let's recap what else we've learnt this week uh, from Andrew Muller. We learned this week that we, and we for the purpose of this observation, should be construed as we who in any way rely upon the creative and or media industries to inform, entertain or employ us, are doomed. So there was that. We thank you for your sympathies at this difficult time, etc. We learned of our imminent annihilation from the results of this year's Sony World Photography Award. We learned that the prize in the Creative Open category had been awarded to German artist Boris Eldagsen for a moody study entitled Pseudomnesia, the Electrician. We then learned, because he told us, as he sportingly declined to accept the award, that Eldagson had not taken the photo in question, and indeed nor had anybody, as it had been generated by AI at his command, prompting quite the ethical conundrum. It's well, a tricky it's one. And as if that wasn't a bracing enough statement of intent by our incoming AI overlords, we also learned of this. Which, we learned, is not, despite the assumption that could reasonably be made by the passing listener, a new collaboration by Drake and The Weeknd on a diss track about Selena Gomez, but an AI-generated simulacra wrought by an anonymous creator trading as ghostwriter. 
Or inevitably, is it? For we also learned of speculation that the track in question actually is Drake and or The Weeknd engaged in some sort of cunning postmodern double bluff. And actually, let's have another run of that brand new inane speculation chorus of ours, surprised we've lasted this long without one. It's well, a tricky one. Cool, man. So we learned basically that the clock is now ticking to the day upon which the narrator and producers of these monologues will all be replaced by someone firing up ChatGPT once a week and typing in, serve us up seven minutes of baleful whimsy reflecting on the lessons imparted by the week's events, illustrated with recherche music clips, silly sound effects and the resentful participation of Monocle staff who have better things to be getting on with, or at least did before someone invented this. Still, suppose we should enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. Wouldn't get too smug, General Muttered Agreement crew. I asked ChatGPT for some General Muttered Agreement and just listen to this. Yeah. Or did I, etc. Anyway. We have probably learned on balance to be more grateful for those rituals and traditions which anchor us to a past which, while no less ridiculous than our present, is at least no more terrifying than our future. And just as well, as we learned quite a lot this week about the forthcoming coronation of King Charles III. We learned that a contribution to the pageantry had been made by Pope Francis. We learned that Francis had thoughtfully sent a couple of tiny splinters of, it says here, the true cross, the actual one from the thing, which will be embedded into the Cross of Wales prior to it being carted into Westminster Abbey. Which we learned, or at least concluded, is mighty ecumenical of the Pope, given the still resonant 16th century row between Francis's predecessor, Clement VII, and Charles's great, 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 great uncle, Henry VIII. We think that's the right number of greats, and we cannot overemphasize this, simply do not care if it isn't. But we also learned that an amount of less rarefied coronation merch has been made available, which is exciting news for people with elderly and infirm relatives whose wills they are hoping to stay in. We learned that among the souvenir tat on sale at the official Royal Collection shop are coronation-branded bookmarks, teacups, teddy bears, keyrings, spoons, socks, tea towels, bassoons, pillboxes, and shortbread, and yes, we may have made one of those up. And we also learned of this. The King and Queen Consort have unveiled their coronation quiche. The savoury tart will be served at big lunches celebrating next month's event. We learned that the official dish of the looming regal wingding will be coronation quiche to feature spinach, broad beans and tarragon. All of which may well have been personally interviewed for the role by the incoming monarch. This is a richly amusing satirical barb rooted in the popular rumour that he talks to plants, do you see? <coughs> 
A reminder that the great event will take place on May the 6th, just a week before Eurovision, and yes, one will be an undignified circus of dubiously credentialed foreigners descending on Britain to caper about inexplicably in daft costumes to a dismal soundtrack, while the other is a song contest. You'd have been disappointed if we hadn't. For Monocle Radio, I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you very much, Andrew. This is Monocle on Saturday. I'm Georgina Godwin, and still with me in the studio is Alice Sherwood. Now, uh, in addition to all of the academic qualifications that I had difficulty getting my tongue around (laughs) earlier, Alice is also the author of Authenticity, Reclaiming Reality in a Counterfeit Culture. And Alice, it's just come out in paperback. I'm hugely excited, as any author is, when they kind of see a new version of their book. Um, So um, a snippet, I think, Something strange pricing, £9.19 on Amazon. What's the 19 for? I think it's some Amazon algorithm that has worked out that if you like this kind of book, you like things that are have 19p at the end of it. I don't know. <laughs> I simply don't know. Very odd. Alice, we had a long conversation about this book and people can download that from our archive can't Indeed. they, to, to hear Read more about writers, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's wonderful. It's got lots of great personal stories in it and it just is a, a, a wonderful read. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about Uganda. This is not a great this story. This is not a good, this is not no. a happy. Well, Uganda are in the process of passing, or in fact they've passed, they're in the process of revising uh, one of the harshest sets of laws against homosexuality ever. Uh, you will get uh, you will get life for engaging in homosexual acts. Um, a certain category of acts, uh, which they call aggravated homosexuality, could incur the death penalty. Promotion of homosexuality by any organisation will get you a huge fine. Um, it is it is dismaying. Is not even the the beginning of it, and the fear is that this kind of extreme anti-gay sentiment and law, a passing of laws, will spread further in Africa, where I think, I'm sure you can correct me on this, um, there's already uh, about three dozen countries have made homosexuality illegal, but have not passed laws with these kind of extreme penalties. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's very... It's very distressing. Very, very distressing. There's a, uh, in the past, we've spoken to a lot of Ugandan writers to oh. very, very much feeling this. And there was a, a little while ago the sort of beginnings of a big protest against it. And then now, of course, you know. Who, how would you dare? How would you dare? How would you dare? Um, okay, well, to cheer us up, let's talk slightly about succession. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Which I just love, isn't it? Just fantastic. Yeah. No, no, it, it's, it's obsessing everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, a throwback to meet the writers but Georgia Pritchett who's one of the chief writers mm. on Succession uh, I interviewed a little while ago and, and, and uh, she talks obviously about writing that uh, the Murdochs have been in the press of course because of uh, the Dominion voting systems Fox News v- uh, versus Dominion they settled out of court as we know um, great profile of Rupert Murdoch in Vanity Fair uh, and uh, this very much makes draws those parallels between uh, the, the, the real Murdoch family and the uh, fictional Roy family in succession. Uh, lots of details. I highly recommend reading the article. But there is more legal news about the Murdochs and it's not about Rupert. No, and I think this is from a splendid Australian publication that I hadn't 
heard of before, which is called crikey. Or and we need your colleague Andrew Muller to say crikey. Um, <laughs> which started off as a scandal and tidbits site and has morphed into, I think, uh, uh, really a political campaigning paper. And last June, it published an article where it described Lachlan Murdoch, amongst others in his family, as co-conspirators, as effectively co-conspirators in the January 6th Capitol riots. Lachlan Murdoch didn't like this one bit, brought a defamation suit against them. And then guess what? This week, he withdrew it. So they are they are whooping because they are a tiny, tiny organisation uh, who had raised half a million, I think, Australian dollars to fight this, but nobody can fight the Murdoch millions. Um, and, of course, it's been withdrawn, or they are saying it's been withdrawn because um, of the, the um, Dominion case uh, settlement. I can't call it victory, settlement. So I, I, I think... Murdoch Senior isn't the only one who's had a bit of a bad week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and highly recommend uh, people check out this publication. It's not one we've featured before. It's called Crikey, and you can find it uh, online. Right, I think we are going to head to Milan now, where the Monocle team pitched up this week to cover the world's largest furniture trade fair, Salone del Mobile. One of the most interesting things in Milan was the collaboration between the Swiss furniture company, USM, and Skate Room, a social entrepreneurship whose main purpose is to help empower youth. Well, Nick Manis, who's our design editor, spoke to Charles Antoine Bodson, Skate Room's founder and CEO, and Katrin Eckert, who's UCM's group creative director, to find out more. Well, we are back again at Rossignoli, Corso Garibaldi 71, and we do a great collaboration together with uh, Skate Room, and we present the artist Claudia Conte. And, and I mean, tell us a little bit about that collaboration. That seems like quite a, a diverse or, or a varied group of, of creatives coming together. What, what does that actually look like? What's the physical form of it? Well, how does it look like? You just have to come around the corner. We, I don't want to talk too much about it. <laughs> and, uh, well, Skate Room approached us uh, one and a half years ago to ask if we are interested in a collaboration. And I would like to pass the word to Charlotte one because he can explain better the purpose of his business and the skate room. Uh, hello everyone, I'm Charles Antoine, I'm the founder of the skate room. Thank you Catherine for introducing me. And uh, as Catherine was saying, um, we have approached uh, USM a year and a half ago because we are inspired by the brand, we love the brand and we thought it could be a good idea to collaborate with them. To collaborate with them means to have extra support for the different projects we are funding around the world. And uh, Mr. Scharrer and his team, Catherine uh, and her, her colleagues, have been convinced that they were willing to make a collaboration with us and to propose special donation for a project in Jordan and in Amman. So tell, tell us a little bit about Skate Room for those who maybe aren't familiar. At the Skate Room, we are editing skateboard decks with major artists, uh, selling those around the world in all the museums, uh, different shops around the world. And we are donating between 10 and 30% of the sales to, uh, to fund social projects around the world that are mixing skate and education. We fund the skate park, we fund the schools, those NGOs are doing their job. We've done so far around 100 projects around the world. And when I had the chance to meet Claudia, Claudia Conte in, uh, in Jamaica a few years ago, I was working on a project over there. 
and it was a great encounter that we had with Claudia, some good time on the island. And, um, and when USM agreed on making a collaboration, of course, Claudia was the, was the best artist you had the chance to work with because she's Swiss, she's super graphical, she was convinced of the idea of, uh, of playing a role in, uh, in uh, Aman Jordan. So what I think the, the, the reunion of all the actors were there. And I'm really happy of the first the editions, of course, the furnitures, and uh, of what we saw yesterday, it seems to be a success. Wow. Amazing. And, and just quickly, so tell us about the, the Jordan project that, that this is going to help fund. Really interesting. In Jordan, we've been funding a project a few years ago. So a skate park is, uh, is at the middle of the, of the city. We've been funding those programs for now seven years, and it's a special project because it's probably the only place within Amman where all the different communities are succeeding in mixing. It's a difficult question for refugees to be uh, taking uh, all the nationalities together, and on the skate park it works. The NGO reached us because they wanted to make outreach program, which means kids don't come to the skate park, but the skate activities come to them. The idea was to link to the, uh, to the refugees base in the Zatari uh, refugee camp, a bit in the outside of Amman. And, uh, and I'm super pleased that we are going to fund this. And in a few months, we are going there to make a movie to explain to the people why do we do this and what it changed to the life of those kids basically in the need we'll have to keep an eye out for it I mean Claudia I want to I want to bring you in now tell us a little bit about your your role in all of this you're you're helping to design the decks where where do you fit in with the USM relationship as well hi everyone my name is Claudia Comte <laughs> so yeah thanks for the discussion today you know it was a really a great project for me to to be in such good company with uh, great company USM and uh, great organization uh, Skate Room and um, I think uh, if you would see the, the booth or the presentation we have done for the Milan uh, Art Week, uh, Design Week sorry, you would see that it blend very well the, what I have proposed with the, with the furniture first of all because um, the, the idea was to uh, connect one of the, the pattern I use the most is through my my work of uh, painting and wall painting which is the zigzag and uh, to place it directly on the on the furniture like uh, like a skin kind of and it's a this black black and white zigzag and it's really timeless you know between the the furniture that are existing since a long time and that are so well done and so cleverly made it, it there is really a connection with the with the pattern that both are again creating this this object that yeah that is that is timeless really and um, we have uh, or I have this connection through my work that uh, that is also very uh, modular you know I like also to play a lot with with my work and uh, I compose very often paintings that have many pieces made out of uh, different canvas and uh, for the sculptural work uh, it's the same and so it was really making sense to to work in this direction uh, together and with uh, skate room we have uh, used three uh, of uh, my works as well to represent them on the skate deck. Two paintings and one uh, another kind of iconic or signature of mine which is uh, the cactus, a, ca a cactus out of marble and all these form the sixth edition that we have created uh, together. So the three uh, skate deck, the three triptych and the three uh, specially designed furniture. 
Amazing. That sounds so good. I mean, uh, Catherine, w- w- if people stop past, we've, we've sort of painted a little bit of a picture of it. Is, is this just a one-off thing, uh, the zigzag print, or can you actually pick up a, a USM uh, zigzag pattern <laughs> unit? Yep. Absolutely. That's the purpose of the whole uh, installation that we created, as Claudia said, a limited edition. We have three different furniture, 50 pieces each. You can buy them online. And also we donate a big part of the income to this social project. And that's artists. Claudia Comte, who's USM's Group Creative Director, uh, Katrin Eckert, and also Charles Antoine Bodson, founder and CEO of Skate Room. They were speaking to Monocle's Nick Moniz. Now, still with me uh, in the studio is Alice Sherwood, uh, and we were just talking about her book, Authenticity, which comes out, uh, has just come out in paperback, which is great. Uh, Brussels is trying to keep things real, too. Tell us about this uh, whole move away from colonial statues. Uh, I think... What Brussels are doing is attempting to come to terms or finding different ways of coming to terms with Belgium's Belgium's colonial past and in particular uh, with the pretty terrible times at the end of the 19th century um, with the Belgian colony then known as Congo Free State Um, and uh, King Leopold, who was initially seen as the builder of the new Belgium uh, but currently... uh, is more seen as somebody who raided the colonies in order to fund uh, the, new, the new Belgium. So what they are doing is proposing to deal with those statues that still glorify colonialism by potentially moving them to a statue cemetery <laughs> rather than destroying them and losing the history. Yeah, You're building a particular area where people can go and see that place that, that part of history, but understand that it's dead. Mm. Um, uh, talking about King Leopold, of course, there's that fantastic book, King Leopold's Ghost, which is by Adam Hostchill. Yes. Uh, absolutely mm. riveting book. Mm. Uh, again, more about that on Meet the Writers. You can find him in our archives. But um, I went to, after reading that book, in fact, uh, and I, I guess very much uh, influenced too by... Um, Oh, you know, it's the horror, the horror, Mr. Kurtz. Yes, Conrad. Conrad. Um, very much influenced by that. Uh, I went to the Africa Museum in Brussels. Ah. And this was just before it shut down to completely reinvent itself, which it now has done. Because you went in there and there was, there was, it was, frankly, nobody had thought about diversity or how any of this was portrayed. It was, it was quite shocking. Uh, but now it's called itself, now it says, Welcome to the Africa Museum. Discover the natural and cultural diversity of Central Africa. And before it just was, you know, slaves in the Congo. and It was just awful. But yeah. now it's fabulous. So yeah. it looks like Brussels is making a real effort along with the um, with the, this whole I think they really the are. statue, statue yeah. parks. Finally, I don't think anybody can have a conversation without uh, referencing AI. <laughs> it's AI again. <laughs> another day, another AI story. What have you got for us on this? I rather love this. It's two musicians, two musician geeks, I would say, um, have spent time using AI to synthesize Liam Gallagher's voice. So the frontman, frontman of Oasis, who has this very trademark Mancunian wine, um, his voice has been uh, simulated by this AI. 
And it means that Oasis, who I don't think have released anything since 2010, Oasis fans, have just heard new, in heavy and inverted commas, new Oasis tracks with Liam's voice. And, and here's the real kicker and the lovely thing, which is when Liam was contacted about this, he described it, the, the, the idea of an AI Liam, as mad as fuck. I hope I'm allowed to say that. And then just commented, he said, I sound mega. <laughs> And he loved it. And of course, because the Gallagher brothers can't agree on anything, uh, Noel just said, no, no one, nothing can imitate me. I'm unique. Fabulous. Alice, many thanks for coming on to speak to us. This is Monocle on Saturday. It's estimated that by cultivating just 2% of the oceans with seaweed, the protein requirements of the whole planet could be met. This jaw-dropping figure on the groundbreaking yet untapped benefits of seaweed from decarbonising the oceans to feeding the world is all featured in a new book, The Seaweed Revolution. Within the book, the author, Vincent Dumaziel, who's a leading expert and a senior advisor for Ocean at United Nations Global Compact, as well as a director of the food programme for Lloyd's Register Foundation, outlines ways seaweed could help combat climate change, provide a plastic alternative and feed an ever-growing world population. Vincent, it's a pleasure to have you with us. What are the benefits then of seaweed? Just tell us a little bit more about that. Well, seaweed has multiple uh, benefits. First of all, uh, it's the, 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 the healthiest source of food for people. So basically, we know that in Japan, it is a very popular food on, uh, uh, and it contributes to a, a, a very long life expectancy there and the very low level of uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes and obesity. Um, we know that for sure. So it is, uh, seaweed uh, is, is a nutritional bomb. Uh, which is full of nutrients that are of interest, uh, like uh, omega-3 long chain, vitamin, proteins, uh, and, and so forth. Uh, but but not only that, it, seaweed is also naturally uh, an antiviral, an antifungal, an antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, uh, and it's the best prebiotics you can think of in the world. So uh, seaweed is very good for your body, but it's also good for the planet mm. uh, because it will repair the ocean. Uh, and, and that's what is beautiful. But as you mentioned, seaweed is not only a good source of food. It's a source because it's a good source of animal feed because the benefit that will go for human will be the same for uh, animal. It's a very good source to replace fertilizers as a natural and organic biostimulant. It's a source to replace plastic, as you mentioned, or cotton, which are also another type of unsustainable resource. But even more importantly, it's a way to repair the ocean. It's the lowest trophic level. Uh, it's a way to sequester a lot of carbon, more than any uh, any land forest. And last but certainly not least, because you don't lead a revolution uh, without tackling uh, the social injustice in the world. I mean, seaweed is a very good source um, of revenues and job to provide source and uh, to provide jobs and revenues to coastal communities where the fishing resources are declining and will gradually disappear. Mm. Uh, so that's really a multifaceted solution to tackle, as you mentioned, the biggest challenge of our generation. So given that seaweed is obviously one of the answers to our future crisis, why hasn't it seen a, a, a bigger uptake? What more can be done to, to grow the seaweed farming industry? There is two, three, uh, three main hurdles to this. One, uh, we need to get the right to operate in the ocean, which is 
very complicated today uh, because let's say the Western uh, government are very cautious, a bit too much, would say, and it takes nearly years and years to get a license to cultivate the ocean. There is one large-scale farm in France, maybe one or one, very soon one in UK as well, but there is no farms uh, so far. So we don't have the right to cultivate the ocean Whilst in, in Asia, it represents 40 million uh, tons of uh, production, cultivation, uh, and it contributes to benefit billions uh, of people, to feed billions of people. So that's, we are not there yet. We have lost that connection with the ocean, with the Greek and the Roman 2,000 years ago, and we still have to reconnect there. The second uh, big hurdle that we have is that we don't really know how to cultivate our endemic seaweed. Um, so we have to learn that. I mean, it took us 12,000 years since the Green Revolution to understand how to cultivate the land crops. We have to do the same exercise with uh, with the ocean uh, and, and, and we have to learn from our mistakes on land. We don't want to reproduce monoculture. We don't want to reproduce GMO uh, and uh, industrial farming. So we have to learn a permaculture for the ocean for our very seaweed. And so far, the only seaweed we know how to cultivate are the ones from Asia. So it's a bit like uh, you want to start agriculture in Sussex, but you only know how to cultivate rice, goyava, and banana. That's not ideal as a situation. So we have to learn how to grow our own seaweed, which is, once again, still to be done. And the last and maybe the most important point, because it speaks to all of us, uh, we have to build a market for this uh, industry. Mm. If we don't eat seaweed, if we don't uh, uh, get interested into seaweed, the market will never appear and, and the market will never be there and there's no way we can develop this industry. So we are all, uh, three times a day, we are all the drivers of this change. We have all uh, actors into that and, and we have the power to change things. Each time we eat and we drink, we vote for the world we want tomorrow. We are all environmental activists three times a day. And that's the message we want to convey. If you want to help us start eating seaweed and, dis and, and discover all delicious that can be. Uh, your book is called The Seaweed Revolution, and it's going to be launched at a big event on Thursday, the 27th of April at the Natural History Museum. Now, this is in conjunction with Lloyd's Register Foundation, who's very interested in this and very, very supportive of this move. Tell us about the event on the 27th. Well, it's going to be great. Uh, it's a, it's a launch event at the at the at the Natural History Museum. Lloyd's Register Foundation, who has this visionary uh, uh, um, um, project on seaweed uh, over the last three years, uh, is organizing as well as United Nations Global Compact. Because I'm, I'm as you mentioned, I'm also working for United Nations Global Compact. So we have this uh, 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 these two entities leading that we should have a great seaweed, and there will be uh, a first in the history actually the, uh, 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 for this occasion. It will be the first. We will have a special edition of edition of the book um, uh, with a, 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 a cover made from seaweed. So not plus the one who received the Earthshot Prize from uh, Prince William uh, last month, uh, as who are big fan of the book. Uh, have uh, supported that and they have designed the first in history uh, see a book cover made from seaweed. So we will have a, uh, 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 that will be quite exclusive and that will be uh, distributed to the uh, participant or to some of them at least uh, during this evening. So it will be a there will be some musician. We have some uh, uh, shanty songs about seaweed, and we have a lot of uh, food, of course, uh, from seaweed. We will have some uh, uh, real uh, touch and feel about the, the new packaging products, the new uh, 
plastic made from seaweed. So it will be a lot of surprises and very good people as well. We have a very senior uh, attendance there. So it should be very, uh, very interesting evening. Vincent, many, many thanks for talking to us. My pleasure. Many, many thanks to you. That was the sustainability expert and United Nations advisor, Vincent Dumaziel, author of The Seaweed Revolution, which will be launched on the 27th of April. And that's it from us. Monocle on Saturday returns at the same time next weekend. I'm Georgina Godwin. Of course, I'll be with you throughout the day. But for now, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you.